Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Welcome back to the podcast. This is our very last episode on the New Testament. So if you've made it this far, congratulations, you've made it through the entire New Testament. And we're going to wrap it all up with what I think is a very fitting passage. So this week we're reading Matthew chapters 24 through 28, but we're going to focus on Matthew 28, 16 through 20, a passage known as the Great Commission. Okay, the Great Commission. Now let's set the context here. Remember at this point, Jesus has already been crucified. He's died and he's rose again. Okay, keep that in mind. And remember, a group of women are the first to see the risen Jesus at the empty tomb. And he tells them to tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee. So the 11 disciples, minus Judas, travel to Galilee. And it says, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Now, this is interesting. What are they doubting? Why are they doubting? And how can they worship and doubt at the same time? Now, this type of doubt doesn't seem to be a lack of faith. It's not the same word as when Peter walks on water and Jesus calls him, you of little faith. It's not that word here in Matthew 28. So the disciples have enough faith to worship, but they still doubt. What does that mean? Well, it seems that this word doubt means something more like hesitate. After everything that's happened, as you can imagine, the disciples are a little bit uncertain. They scattered when Jesus was arrested. They were devastated. They were scared. They feared for their own lives. Peter denied Jesus three times. These were some difficult, dark days for the disciples. They're probably sleep-deprived by this point. So you can imagine when they walk up and they see Jesus standing there after being crucified, they have some uncertainties. They have some hesitation. They may also have some hesitation about what's coming next, about the mission that Jesus is about to give them. But then Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't miss the significance of this. If somebody predicts their own death and resurrection, pulls it off, and then walks out of the grave and says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, you should probably listen to what they say next. It's probably pretty important. And Jesus knows that his disciples are scared. He knows that they're hesitant. And so he says, look, I know you're scared, you're uncertain, but I have all authority. So trust me, listen to me. So what does he say next? He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. But first, notice that it says, go, therefore. He's saying, in light of the fact that I have 
all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm commanding you to do this. I'm commissioning you. This isn't the great suggestion. This is a command. Now, there are a few commands in this passage. There are four commands, to be precise. You have go, baptize, teach, and make disciples. Now, in English, in our English language, it may seem like all of these commands carry the same weight. But in Greek, there's one main command, and the other three commands support the main command. So what is the main command? Many people will guess go. They think go is the main command, but it's actually make disciples. The central command in this passage is make disciples. The other commands tell us how to make disciples. We make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. So let's break this down a little bit. Let's talk more about what it means to make disciples. Now, when it comes to going, some people will argue that this means as you go. But without getting into too much of a deep dive of the Greek, this word go in the Great Commission carries the same force as a command. It's actually the same grammatical construction as used earlier in the chapter. So when the angel is talking to the women at the empty tomb, the angel tells the women, then go quickly and tell his disciples. He says, go quickly. This is the same word, go, as in the Great Commission. It's the same grammatical construction. And clearly in this context, it means go. The angel isn't saying, as you go, as you happen to head in this direction, go tell his disciples. No, he's saying, go tell his disciples. It's the same thing in the Great Commission. The word go means go. It's a command. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is going to go overseas. But what it implies is intentionality. We go to people. We seek them out. We meet them where they are. We don't just wait for people to come to us. We're intentional. Now, the next commands in the Great Commission are baptizing and teaching. What does baptism represent? It's symbolic. It's a, it's a public proclamation of faith. Now, baptism is not what saves us. We're saved by faith alone. But baptism represents somebody coming to faith in Christ. So we're commanded to invite people to follow Christ. And then it commands us to teach people all that Jesus commanded. So we don't just invite people to follow Christ and then abandon them. We also invest in them. So let's recap here what disciple-making means. Remember, disciple-making or make disciples is the main command. It means intentionally inviting and investing. Intentionally inviting and investing. See, some people will get into debates about whether the church should emphasize evangelism, leading people to Christ, or discipleship, which is investing in people, helping them grow deeper. But I hope you see here in this passage how those two things are equally important. It's not one or the other. They're both part of the Great Commission. They're like two oars in a boat. If we want to get anywhere, we have to do both. Otherwise, we're just going to go around in circles. If all we do is evangelism, guess what? We're going to have lots of Christians 
but they won't be mature. They're going to be little baby Christians. And if all we do is discipleship, we're going to have mature Christians, but we're not going to have very many. We're not going to, we're not going to expand the kingdom. We always need both. We need evangelism and discipleship. We need inviting and investing. So we intentionally invite and invest. Now, there's another part of the Great Commission, one that I think is often overlooked, but I also think it's the most important part. Jesus ends the Great Commission with a promise. He says, remember or look, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Literally all of the days. I'm with you all of the days. Now we're going to come back to that, but first people often ask, who does this command apply to? Was it just the original disciples? But let's look at the scope of the Great Commission. Jesus says he has all authority. So he commands his followers to make disciples of all nations by teaching all that he commanded empowered by Jesus, who is with his disciples all of the days. So a couple of questions for you. Did the original disciples make disciples of all nations? Now, there probably was some sense in which they thought they were going to finish the task in their generation, but did they? No. They laid the foundation for the completion of the Great Commission, but they didn't finish it. Now, what does the word nations mean here? We're not talking about political nations because those change over time. This is talking about, this word is talking about what the book of Revelation shows us. There will be people around God's throne from every language, every tribe, every tongue. This is talking about people groups. So, did the original disciples make disciples of all the people groups of the world? No. And are the original disciples making disciples to the end of the age or all of the days? No. So who does this command apply to? It applies to all believers. Jesus has all authority and he makes this command to make disciples of all nations to all believers, including you and me. Now, we also need to address something else here. If we back up to Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end times here. And he says something very relevant to our discussion. He says, This good news of the kingdom, the gospel, will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we see that emphasis on all, again, all the world and all nations or all people groups. So Jesus says he will return once we make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission is part of bringing Jesus back, in a sense. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone on the planet is going to be saved, but it does mean that God wants people in his family from every tribe and every language, every people group. So I want to make a point here. What is really the crux of spiritual warfare? People like to talk about this topic, but it it usually involves things like praying out loud and, and driving demons away or driving them away through singing. And I'm not denying that those aren't very real things or that they aren't good things, but that's not the heart of what spiritual warfare is. As one scholar put it, 
What do the powers of darkness fear? They fear their own destruction, which means they fear the success of the Great Commission. Remember the Great Commission, completing the Great Commission means that the end will come. Judgment will come. The forces of evil know that they're going to lose, okay? They're not stupid. But their goal is to delay things as long as possible. The longer they can delay the Great Commission, the longer they can delay final judgment, and the longer they get to keep wreaking havoc and doing their thing on this earth. See, one of the enemy's main tactics is to distract us from the one task that matters, and that's making disciples. And he's been effective in that in in many ways. There was a study completed in March of 2020. This was before COVID, just before COVID. And it showed that less than 5% of churches have a reproducing, disciple-making culture. Less than 5%. This is the main task that Jesus left his church with, and yet this is where we are. We, talking about the church as a whole, we need to get back to what matters most. There's an organization called the Joshua Project, and they keep track of our progress in the Great Commission. You can go look at this yourself. You can find it at joshuaproject.net. And they estimate the total number of people groups in the world, and they show how many of these people groups are considered unreached with the gospel, meaning they have no access to the gospel whatsoever. Not that they've denied the message, but there's nobody to even tell them. There's no Bible in their language. There's nobody to tell them that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So I just looked at this website today, and Joshua Project estimates that there are 17,429 people groups in the world today. Okay, just over 17,000. Of those, 7,416 people groups are considered unreached with the gospel. That's a total of 3.37 billion people, billion with a B, who are unreached. Remember, the gospel is going to go to all nations, all people groups, and then the end will come. Now, obviously, we don't know how God views people groups or how he defines people groups. This is just an estimate, our best estimate. But regardless, we clearly have a lot of work to do. And you might think, what difference can I make? What difference can one person make? But I like to give a a simple illustration here to to show the power of Jesus' style of disciple-making. So let's say that we start with one disciple, okay, just one. Let's pretend we have just one believer. And in one year, that person makes three other disciples. So at the end of year one, we have four disciples total. Then in year two, each of those four disciples would make three more disciples, which gives us a total of 16 disciples because you have four times three, which is 12, plus the the four original disciples. I know, math. Now, if that continued every year, do you know how many disciples we would have by year 16? 16 years. We would have over 4 billion disciples, billion with a B. By year 17, we'd reach more than the entire world's population. Now, obviously, that's idealistic. I get it. It's not going to happen exactly like that. But the point is that the kingdom starts small, like a mustard seed, and grows into something big. 
This is the power of everyone getting involved, everyone doing their part. We need all of us to complete the Great Commission. This is a bigger task than any one of us. But here's the issue. So many people are quick to say, well, I can't do this. I can't invite people to follow Christ. I can't invest in people. I don't know what to do. I don't know much if people ask me questions. And you know what? I think the original disciples felt the same way. Because to go back to what we said earlier, they doubted. They were hesitant. But what did Jesus end the Great Commission with? He said, remember, I am with you always, all of the days to the end of the age. Why did he end with that? Because he knew his disciples would be scared. He knew we would be scared. But that's the point. It's a task that's, that's bigger than any one of us can handle. It forces us to trust God. So I want to close this podcast with the theme that we've revisited many times. Who's your one? Who's one person in your life you can either invite to follow Christ or invest in? Depending on where that person is spiritually will determine your approach. If they're a non-believer, the first step is to invite them to follow Christ. If they're already a believer, but maybe they've drifted or maybe they're a newer believer, consider how you can maybe go through a, a reading plan together, a Bible reading plan, or read a book together. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just has to be intentional. So let's intentionally invite and invest this year. Let's be part of bringing Jesus back. The Great Commission was some of Jesus' final words on earth. So let's make his final words our first work. And remember, Jesus is with you always. Always.